Well, we are moving a different direction this morning. Uh, last week, Ken did kind of a message on Thanksgiving, uh, which was very appropriate, and we wanted to do that. But as we enter the Advent season, as we've been talking about this morning, you know, Advent is just a great opportunity for us to, one, look back. We get to look backward at the first coming. And we get to celebrate, and that's what we do during this season and during Christmas. We get to celebrate the birth of Christ. But part of Advent also uh, is being expectant and is looking forward to his second coming. Um, And when he comes then, he comes as not just Savior as he did his first coming, but also he comes back as King. And that's what we get to celebrate. That's what we get to reflect on meditate on and spend time uh, thinking through and praying through during this Advent season. And, you know, my hope is that we really do that as a family, as home churches and small groups, whatever your community is. uh, My hope is that we really try to focus on that. And that way, I know it's hard, but we move away from the distractions of of Christmas and the presents and all that stuff, which is great. I love the, the Christmas and I love doing that but that we don't allow ourselves to miss what's really happening. And as believers, what we're really not only celebrating, but what we're looking forward to. You know, also just connect this with judges. Where we were is they were wanting a king, and that's where we're headed as we continue through judges, is they were getting all these judges that just spiraled out of control. Eventually, they got a king, David, but we know that that wasn't the end, that it skipped forward to Jesus. But we wanted to talk about and walk through Advent and look at King Jesus, the fact that he's a king. And that's kind of what we're going to walk through um, this morning is this idea of him um, being a king, not just a savior, but also what does it mean that he is a king? And as we do that, there's, there, I'm going to kind of frame this in a way that we start broad and we kind of narrow down these different uh, prophecies where Jesus is spoken of, where his first coming is spoken of. And a lot of it, the rock skips, and it's his second coming as well. And even some of these, as we look at them and we read, it's it's David or Solomon, and then it's Christ, and then it's his second coming. But there there are hundreds of prophecies. There are so many prophecies, and they're written over thousands of years. And I'll kind of give you some dates this morning as we walk through some of these. But we're going to talk about this, the prophesied and coming king. Next week, we'll talk about the suffering and sacrificial king. And then before Christmas, we'll talk about the reigning and eternal king. But as we look at these prophecies, I think it's so interesting to see the little details, the little glimmers that the people then got as they were living life, as they were anticipating the first coming of the Messiah. They got got to see these things. We get the privilege of looking back and going, man, look at all these things and look at how they came to fulfillment. So it does a lot of things. One, I think it shows the validity of the scriptures. It's not just by chance one man was talked about over and over and over and over again, and it all was fulfilled in the way that it was during his first coming. 
And we're going to start, God kind of sets this up at the very beginning. The beginning of time, we get to see that this king is going to be a human. And I think that's so important, one, because he identifies with us. Because there's no other way for us to identify with a cosmic God, a God that's so big, unreachable, untouchable. But when you get a man, when you get a human, he then can identify with us. Excuse me. First verse is out of Genesis 3. And it's in the garden, just after the fall of man. Listen to this. <clears throat> it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So from the foundations of the world, God is putting his plan into motion. And I love this because this isn't, one thing this does is it goes, you know, Jesus wasn't like an afterthought. You know, Jesus wasn't a, oh, man, God didn't get it right through the Old Testament, so somehow now he's got to become a man and fix things. That's not what's going on because we see in this verse right here, God is already speaking of what's going to happen. And talking about the offspring of a woman. That we're going to have a human that is going to be this king. And at the very end it says, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He's speaking of the, the death, but then the resurrection and the victory that ultimately comes through Jesus Christ. So from the foundations of the world, we see that this plan was set in motion. So God has set this up. And we're going to look at four different prophecies and kind of walk through these. And we're going to start wide with the nation. A nation that was chosen by God. Look at this out of Numbers 24, 17. And this is um, it's from one of those passages. If you remember the story of Balak and Balaam. And he was, Balak was trying to get Balaam to come and curse these people. And God said, no, you're going to speak for the Israelites. You're not going to speak against them. It's a story about the, the donkey that God speaks to the donkey. To. It's a crazy story. You can read all of it later. But this is Balaam speaking in his fourth oracle, and this is what he says. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And I love the imagery here. And I love what's going on. One first thing you've got is this idea of this star which we talked about and they read the prophecy. This is what they went to when they were searching for the birth of Christ, to follow a star, was this prophecy is what led them here. And then this idea of, of a scepter, what comes with that with rule as a king, and that he will rise out of Israel, which is a chosen nation. God chose the Israelites. He set them apart to be holy. And he chose Jesus, his son, and set him apart to be holy, to be a sacrifice for us. But this idea of this scepter brings about authority and absolute rule. 
I love that. Authority and absolute rule. That's what the symbolism of a scepter is. Of a king who holds his scepter and has authority and absolute rule over the people. And they read earlier, you know, the, the star, the Matthew 2, 2 talks about that, where they followed the star. And this comes out of 1400 B.C., 1400 years prior to Christ's birth is where we see Balaam speak these words that God gave him. I see him, but not now, future. I behold him, but not near. But one will rise out of Israel, and he will have authority, and he will have absolute rule. So he's coming from a nation, the nation of Israel. And we're going to get a little more narrow. He comes from a tribe, a tribe full of courage and power. Listen to this in Genesis 49. And this is from about 1850 B.C., 1800 years prior to the birth of Christ. Genesis 49.10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. So this is where Jacob is, is blessing his sons. Jacob's near the end of his life. He's drawing his sons to himself. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah's one of them. Um, You can go back and read the rest of 49 and look through those things that he spoke to them. But some of the things we know about Judah, Judah was the one, if you remember the story of Joseph, you know, they were going to kill him, and he said, no, let's sell him into slavery. I mean, that doesn't sound a whole lot better. But he he was like, no, we're not going to kill our brother. Let's send him, sell him into slavery. Then he's also the one that made sure that Benjamin was not harmed when, when the father, Jacob, was coming down in the story when they were in Egypt. But as you see this, Judah obviously had favor with Jacob. He had favor with his father because he's laying out these blessings, which are so important at the end of someone's life to lay out these blessings for his sons. And again, we get to see this, that this tribe of Judah in the book of Judges, as we've talked about at the very beginning, if you look back at chapter 1, Judah was the one that was sent up first to fight because of the courage, because of the power. And we see that later on at the end of Judges, that Judah is the first one to be sent up. So we get these attributes from this tribe of Judah, which is a great thing because those things are usually what we, if you're a part of a tribe, those things are kind of a part of who you are. And we think about the courage and the power of Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, as he was called. And again, we get this, the, the visual of this, this scepter, this imagery of a king, and the scepter will not depart from Judah. And it's not just about authority and about absolute rule, but it's also about restor- restoration. That the one who comes is not just going to bring rule, an eternal rule, but he also is going to restore all things back to the way that God wants them. And I love at the end of this, it says, Until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. 
That's the king that I want. And we get down even a little further that he's from a family. He's from a nation. He's from a tribe. And he's from a family, from the house of King David. This is out of 2 Samuel. And then we'll look at another one in Psalm 89. It says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod welded by men, wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, this is the Davidic covenant is being set up. David was going to build a house for God, and God says, no, I'm going to build the house. I'm going to build the house through your line, through your family, and I will establish it forever. And here's one of these things where we see this. This is obviously kind of a skip of the stone. This is through David and even to Solomon where it talks about, I will punish him um, when he does wrong. That, that is spoken to of, of Solomon when he sinned against the Lord, but the Lord restored him. But then the rock skips even further to the second coming when the king will rule. And it says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That's the kind of king that I want. Here's it again in Psalm 89. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. And I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. The most exalted of all the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever. And my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne, as long as the heavens endure. So once again, we get to see this rock skipping through David, ultimately to Jesus and to his second coming. And this is 900 B.C., 900 years before the birth of Christ, as God is placing up his kingdom through the house of David. And don't you want a king who comes from royalty, from a royal lineage? Not just any old guy, but Jesus is from the line of David. We see this when we read in Matthew, the genealogies that he's coming through the house of David. So he's chosen. He's full of courage and power. He's part of royalty. And this last one, he's from a certain town. So we're kind of getting further and further, more and more specific. And not just any town, but a town of unexpected origin. It's Micah 5, 1 through 5. It says this, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And that's important, that little piece there. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, once again, the tribe of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So we get to see here 
that he's coming from a specific place in Bethlehem. And actually, there's two different Bethlehems, but the fact that they use the word Ephrathah, that is actually specific to the Bethlehem that was in Judea, that was part of the tribe of Judah. So even that specific piece that is from Micah 700 years before the birth of Christ says, no, he's going to come from this town. And not only is it going to be a town, it's going to be this obscure little place off in this obscure manger as a man. And I love where it says, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. His origins are from old, from ancient times. And it continues, says, Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. So we get to see this town that is now going to be the birthplace of Jesus, an obscure place, in an obscure manger, but yet his greatness is going to spread through all the earth. You know, this makes me think of his humility at Philippians, where it talks about, you know, he's, he humbled himself. He became nothing in the likeness of a man, that he came to us as a man. This kind of circles back around to what we talked about, that it was going to be a human. You know, there's a lot of way, ways that God could have done this, not the way I would have done it. But I'm going to leave my majesty, my throne in heaven. I'm going to become one of you. And not just become one of you, but I'm going to become one of you through the form of a baby that's in an obscure place. This is what I think is so incredible about these passages. As we get to walk through these and see these little glimmers of here he comes, there's another one that points to him. A few hundred years later, here's another one. Here's another one. And there's hundreds of these. There's so many of these prophecies that all walk through the scriptures and they are fulfilled in one man, the God-man. And I think that is so important for us to see because of the validity that it gives to scripture that all these different authors all through the ages, end up pointing to one person that we celebrate during Advent. And that's the birth of Jesus Christ. Our faithful and trustworthy God has a plan for his people, and we've seen that. A plan that began in Genesis at the beginning of time as he announced, you're going to strike his heel, but he will crush your head. He's going to have ultimate victory. And he's going to be a man that can relate to you. It's all fulfilled through his son, our Savior and our King, Jesus. And I really feel like as we, 
we celebrate as we look at this and we think through the incarnation and what this really means, that it's not just, hey, that's a neat story. There's a baby and, you know, he later he becomes a man. No, that it's the king of the world the creator of the universe, the one who was there before the beginning of time. Later in that verse in John, it says, in him was light and that li- in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jesus is the light. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our king. And because of this, and as we look through these prophecies, we know that God is faithful and that God is trustworthy and that Jesus, our King, can be trusted. The one who put on flesh, the one who was tempted like we are, the one who dealt with pain like we do, the one who saw friends die like we have. The one who was made fun of, who was misunderstood, who was beaten, flogged, crucified. He has experienced everything. There's nothing that you and I can experience that the human, the man, Jesus, did not experience. And as all of these prophecies point to that man, that man who went through those things for us. I think that provides a hope for you and I like never before. And I think in this world today, man, we need hope, don't we? We live in a broken world. And things are are breaking down. We're getting older. Our bodies are breaking down. We get sick. Our stuff breaks down, we throw it out. Friendships, relationships break down. I mean, it's a broken world. There are a lot of reasons why it's hard to have hope in the world that we live in. There's a lot of things that go on that we look at that we go, man, how do you just keep, how do we keep moving forward? And this is how. This is how we keep moving forward is because we can trust that a God has set in motion a plan from the foundations of the world that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and he will come again. And when he comes, he's going to be our king. Not just our savior, but our king. And that provides us hope. That provides us the opportunity to wake up every day and go, you know what, I can do this another day. Because I know what's true, and because I know what I'm looking forward to, I can wake up and I can do this another day, no matter how hard it is. And we go through seasons. Sometimes you may be in a season right now that is not difficult. But some of us are in seasons, some of you may be in seasons right now that are tremendously hard, and you need a message of hope, and it's Jesus Christ, your King. That is where we can plant our feet. That is what we can stake our lives on. That is something that we can believe in, that we can put our trust in, that we can say, you know what? I realize things are broken. I realize things are difficult. But I also know that God loves me. 
that he gave his son in the form of a man. And I get all that evidence and I see all that from all these prophecies and all the scripture. And I know that he's going to return one day. And when he does, he's going to reign. And he's going to be filled with authority and absolute rule. He's going to come full of courage and power. He's going to not only rule, but he's going to restore. And he comes from a royal line, maybe from an obscure place, but he has this humility that we can see and understand and feel. But that is the hope that we can build our lives on, and that is a hope that can take us into the future as we look for his second coming and we anticipate that this Advent season. Here's some next steps. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know, I don't know about all this. This old Jesus baby in a manger, you know, star, uh, presence. You know, maybe you're confused. Or maybe you're just like, I'm not sure. I've heard this, but I just, I don't know. Number one's for you. Take a step to see how God's true story brings salvation to the world. Take a look. It's not by chance that all these things were pointing to one man. Take a look. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time and you're like, hey, Christmas. I love Christmas. And maybe you need to respond to God's incredible provision through complete surrender to King Jesus. You know, this is something I think in the Western world, in our church today, a lot of, not necessarily our church, the church, Big C. We sometimes go, hey, I have salvation, great, and we just live our lives. But shouldn't it change the way we live if we serve the king? If we surrender to the king, shouldn't that transform us in a way that we see people different? That we act different, that we respond differently to people, we love people differently. Because we're obedient to the king. And finally, I just want to say embrace the hope. Embrace the hope that comes through the Christmas story. Embrace the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. That he's not just our savior, but he's our king. He's going to return and he's going to reign and he's going to restore and he's going to make all things right. Embrace that hope wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life. Plant your feet on the hope of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we we love you, and we thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for us, Lord, that you don't leave us here, um, but that plan is your son, Jesus Christ, that we get to celebrate his birth at Christmas, and that we get to not only look back, but we get to look forward, and we get to hope, have a hope for you, Lord, a hope for something different, a hope for restoration, a hope for changed lives, Lord, a hope for a resurrected body, a hope for no more sin, no more pain, no more struggle. Father, you will make all things right, and that's what we get to experience, celebrate, and anticipate this Advent season. Be with us as we continue to worship. Father, draw us into your spirit. We love you, and it's in your son's name. Amen.